0: Thanks so much. Oh, how about it? I bring grace to you and peace from God our Father, through our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, amen. The text for today's message from Genesis chapter 8. And as we come to this word, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. God, lead us. Lead us to consider Noah. And in him and his life to hear a divine yes. A loud, resounding yes. Every promise you will deliver on through Jesus Christ. Let us hear that promised yes in Christ. Amen. Faith in Transit is the series. And today, we look at the life of Noah as an example of Faith in Transit. Now, here's the thing you need to know about me. When I preach... I like mind-bending a little bit. And because the goal of preaching is not just that you hear, but the goal of preaching is that you go and by your own reading of Scripture, you continue to learn something, anything. My goal is always to help you read Scripture better. If preaching is just something that happens for 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 minutes. Okay, dial it down, people, especially in the front row. Look, if that's all we do, then you got 167 other, and plus 40 minutes, 167 hours and 40 minutes worth of life beyond this, and where else are you getting strength for the day? My goal is to help you read Scripture more intelligently, because scripture is our life. In scripture, we see the life and death of Jesus Christ embodied and expressed. And that life is our life, not just here abundantly in the world we live in, but in eternity as well. And so let's start that practice today. okay? And when I say learning how to read scripture, what I mean is learning to read what is Actually, in many ways, painfully obvious, but we get so used to listening to Scripture being expressed in kind of highfalutin ways that we miss the fact that at the end of the day, it's just a book written by human beings for human beings. Human beings who were, by the way, carried along by the spirit of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that's a true statement. So this is not just any book, but it is a book. And so let's start with where we start any book, and that is with this story of Noah, how many of you decorated your child's nursery in any kind of Noah decoration? Confess. There you go. So that's where we start. Why? Because we love, we love you know, big fluffy fat animals on the wall. And rainbows are like bright, you know, primary colors. I mean, Noah is just custom made for nurseries. You're not going to put Sodom and Gomorrah on the wall of your child, for goodness sakes. No, you don't do that. You know, David slaughtering the Philistines, no, that doesn't translate to a happy childhood. So granted, we're not going to do that. But we are going to put Noah up there because Noah is a story that not only in the promises that it expresses at the end of the story, but also the great faith that it takes to get through the story is worth mentioning. Noah built an ark, trusted God's word, trusted God's provision, even in the midst of judgment, over the sinfulness of the world that God was finding. And so... As we think about this Faith in Transit series, it's an easy dart to throw. Let's just go to Noah because like Noah, wouldn't we all like to have a faith that could build an ark, not be so risk averse, 40 days of rain. Imagine, you, you Scottsdale people don't even know what 40 days of rain are. I mean, do you even, with, this is a true story, just a, a little aside, uh, as Renee and Connor and I are getting used to uh, the fact that there is no rain in the desert, allegedly. Um, It started raining on on the first Wednesday night we were all here. And I'm not kidding you, it is as if Renee, Connor and I, who are from Missouri with 90% humidity, we run outside to watch the rain come down in Arizona. We were like enthralled by it, wondering is this the last time we'll ever see water in the sky, you know? So, well, Noah had 40 days of it. Imagine 40 days. There's not a wash, or a wash, depending on how you, how you live. There's not a wash that could take that much rain away into the Arizona pipeline into our homes, you know? So, so Noah had all of that, and faith in transit invites us to look at Noah's life and say, I want to live like that. I want to live a life in which God also makes promises not to destroy things again. And so I want to to live all of that. Um, And that's pretty straightforward. We we can get that part of the story. And that's a good way to read Scripture, by the way. How does the life of faith in this person show me how I'm to live? But here's here's the crazy thing about Genesis chapter 8 it's Genesis chapter 8. It's the eighth chapter of Scripture. We've got another 1,500 chapters to go before we're finished here. So my point is, is that for me in reading it, this is less a story about Noah himself and more a story about what we're dealing with over seven chapters of Genesis and the mess in which God finds this world. To put it a little differently, and in light of our, of our title screen here, the faith in transit that I'm looking at is not Noah's faith in transit, but it's God's faith in transit. Just imagine, in eight chapters, in eight chapters, we have seen some pretty substantial change in the world that God created, a world which in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 was good, and all good, But by the end of chapter 3, it's a mess. By the end of chapter 4, a brother is offing a brother. I mean, of course, I'll bring Jake and Nick into this, the the Armstrong boys. I mean, I'm looking at you two. Genesis chapter 4 is made for you. You should read that, boys, and don't do what it says. And so all of that to say, this is how Genesis is moving along. And by the time you get to chapter 8, things are really messed up. So much so that God decides in his inestimable wisdom, I'm going to destroy the whole place and choose Noah and his family and some birds and animals to survive the whole thing. Which brings us to the scripture reading that I just want to refer back to if I can. And... Um, It's right at the end of Genesis chapter 8, and and this is what God says. Just a refresh on what God said when he got done with all the destruction and the rain came to a conclusion. God said, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. I won't curse the ground any longer, even though every inclination of a person's heart is evil from childhood. Childhood. Let me read that again, just in case that passes you by. That's a lot of words. It's pretty thick. God says, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. What that tells me is that that moment, God's faith is in transition. God's moving. Um, by the time we get to the prophets in the Old Testament, by the way, God will say, I repent. Imagine that. I mean, we're the ones who are meant to repent, but God himself, over time, in a way that's mysterious, miraculous, I'm not trying to explain it or understand it, but I'm just saying the attitude and action of God in one moment of history changed a little bit and adjusted, because why? Because he loves his people. He loves you. And as he moves, his people are given a word to remember. We're not just Overhearing this, we are to internalize that word, to realize that we do have a very self-centered way of living. You and I, we both do. But our God and Father is faithful through all of that sinful inclination to still love us and carry out his promises in each and, our, each and every one of our lives. So when we think about faith in transit now, let's put this all together because we are moving in this world. We have lives to live like Noah. But we also have a God who has shown us a kind of promise that is worth hanging our hats on and living by. You see, the fact is, we live in a 21st century American culture that is dominant and destructive. We See the world through the eyes of our children and our grandchildren, and we see the confusion morally in terms of the value systems that are there. We see this confusion, and as much as it pains each and every one of us to watch the news every night or read on our flipboard or whatever source of news you have, as much as it pains us, that pain is magnified in God's heart. The God who said every inclination of the human heart is bent toward evil. He's the one who's seeing these, these days. Of which we are not just, you and I, casual observers, but in many ways, if we're really honest, we are participants and enablers of this world, sinful as it is, that we live in. We take ownership of that. We acknowledge, we, to put it in a church way, we confess that. But we lean on a God who says, I will not forsake any generation. He didn't forsake the greatest generation in the days following World War II. He will not forsake the millennial generation as much as they drive us Gen X and baby boomers wacko. (laughs) Nor, Nor will he forsake Gen Z and all the generations that come past them while the millennials are getting all hot and bothered about them because they're not like us. Our confidence is that as generations come and go, our God is the faithful constant who keeps his promises. And we don't need a rainbow in the sky to remember it. Do you even get rainbows here? Oh, okay, good, just, just a question, just a little. Point of information, didn't know that, sorry, sorry. Apparently we don't ask that question. Anywho, uh, but, but we don't need a rainbow, we have God's word. And here at Shepherd we want to hear through God's word this truth that Paul by the way spoke the apostle Paul years later in a very mixed up society called Corinth. Just read the first 6 or 7 chapters of Corinth. It will make you cry or just go ooh gross because Corinth was a messed up American city in the Greek world of the 1st century bluntly. It was a mess. And in the first letter, Paul writes to Corinth, he lays it on them thick. How wayward that church, those people were in the sinful inclination of their heart toward evil. And by the time Paul gets to his second letter, second Corinthians, he recognizes that while he is called to announce judgment of God against all the sinful inclination of every human heart, including mine, including yours, there was a greater value that he was as an apostle to bring in to the lives of others, and that is the grace of God. And Paul said these words in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, up on the screen, every promise God has made finds its yes in Jesus Christ, When God gave Noah the promise with the rainbow way back then, that promise was not just a promise for Noah's day and age. That promise was a little wink and nudge to the greater promise that was coming in the person of Jesus Christ, miraculously and mysteriously, some, what, 4,000 years later-ish? That's the promise we live by. And... Uh, let's read this out loud together because this, uh, this little verse here is kind of like a hip-hop, rappy thing. I'm not going to hip-hop and rap for you. I'm going to save that till next week. But uh, I'm kidding. Uh, you don't want to see me uh, break it down up here. But, um, but it goes like this. This is kind of, it, I'm, I'm an annoying guy. I'm going to annoy you. Uh, and this is how it goes. Every promise God has made finds its yes in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then you can, you can put that on the end. You don't have to. This is more the northern Lutherans, so if you guys want to you know, kind of tamp it down. So let's go ahead and say this out loud together with that cadence and rhythm because this is the word of God, and the word of God, as we see, needs to be in our mouths and in our hearts so that we can live by faith in it as we get out into the world, Right? And we want to be promised people, we want to be a church of yes. Not saying yes to what the world says yes to, but yes to what God says yes to because he loves the world and gave his son to die for us who live in the world, yeah? So let's read it together, ready? With a little bit of a cadence here, ready? Bump, bump, bump. Every promise God has made finds its yes in Jesus Christ. One more time, just for fun, just for fun. Every promise God has made finds its yes in Jesus Christ. That is the mantra of the church this week. It's the mantra of your life. Without in any way sacrificing the integrity of God's holiness, justice, righteousness, and moral character, we find a way to speak on his behalf a word of yes into lives around us who are as beleaguered and exhausted, exasperated as us because we know that God, he endures In his patient kindness from the days of Noah, even though he knows the inclinations of the human heart, he says, I won't destroy you. In fact, through my son Jesus Christ, I'm going to come to save you. I'm going to come to save you. And we, the church, get to be a church of yes, saying that is yes. That's our God. That's our God. That's who we represent in this world. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all in ...and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray as we wrap up this message today and make our way forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for a otherworldly yes. Thank you for joy in Jesus, hope in the gospel, prayer by which we can bend our hearts toward you, thankful that you first bent your heart toward us. Even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, Scripture says, and we thank you for that salvation and sacrifice of your Son. Now, Heavenly Father, make us a church in this world, in this community, a church of yes, where people who live lives cluttered with lots of negativity, lots of no's, when we hear Noah remind us that we really do hear you say yes. You love us, you care for us, you will not destroy us, you will not forget us. For this we ask in the name of your great and holy, yes, Jesus. Amen.